number nine. Now this one, hopefully none of you in here can relate with this, alright? Because that is not above reproach, you are at church, okay? So hopefully it's not true. And then number ten. Alright. Covenant members who are listening online, I'm making a serious joke about you all not checking your emails, okay? So, <laughs> that's that. Alright, that one's supposed to be the funniest in that one. They hit a little too close to home. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you in Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be camped out today. Uh, we're not going to flip around so you can camp out there. There should be someone in every second and third chair. If you would like a Bible, don't own one, please take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to read it throughout the week. You can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the YouVersion app, underneath the live section, type in the Well Austin, and you can follow along that way. Or you can actually take that link and go right into your browser, type that in, and you'll be able to follow along there. There's notes, places to see scriptures, all that stuff. We want you looking at the word, okay? We want uh, as many means possible so that you can see that these words are coming from scripture and that we're not just kind of trying to make this stuff up, alright? So we want our eyes on the word today to let the word actually be the one that's ministering to us, okay? Now, I have a question, and depending on how you will answer this, this will actually say a lot about you, alright? There are two types of people in this world. There are those who uh, are done with Christmas season, sort of the day after Christmas, or really the night of Christmas, like as soon as we're done, Christmas is done. And then there are those who celebrate Christmas until the last socially acceptable date. All right, and so they try forever, they leave the Christmas lights up all year round and just try to act like it's a normal decoration, all right? And there's all over the place. So if you're the former, if Christmas is done for you already today and you're out of the Christmas season, raise your hand. Okay, about half. And then if you're the latter, if Christmas isn't over until September, and then it starts again in October, raise your hand. Alright, a couple, alright, my wife is definitely one of those. Uh, okay, so second question, because I think that the first question is actually going to feed into this one. Uh, how many of you in here make New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Alright, a little bit under half, kind of, okay. How many of you hate New Year's resolutions? Okay, I'm sorry because you are not going to like this sermon, because that's what it's about today, alright? Uh, we're looking at resolutions and thinking about uh, some of our hopes and desires as we move into 2016. So, if you are not a resolution maker, a list maker, I apologize up front, alright? But that's what we're going to be thinking about. And I hope, what my hope is, is that you will resolve to have Jesus integrated into your 2016 in a way that you haven't really thought about before in 2015. So as we look back at the previous year and then we get to look forward, I personally love the new year because what it does is it allows you to begin to think about uh, things that happened in the past and to look forward to the future. And there aren't many times that are kind of scheduled in our calendar that allow us to do that. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to that, that we get to actually look forward and we get to think about it, okay? Um, I love resolutions for many reasons. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, uh, says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, okay? Because it has promise for the present life and for the life to come. So it actually tells us, that text tells us that uh, physical training or, or taking care of things physically is of some value. Like, it's not like uh, we just don't care about the physical body or the physical world at all. That's just not true, okay? And so in the resolutions, like, there are some good things that can come out of your physical resolutions to be more healthy or to drink more water or to get more sleep or whatever it may be. Like, those are just, those are good things. And Scripture even says, hey, they are of some value. However, godliness 
or spirituality, to make a more blanket word, is of value in every way because it's the only thing that actually has promise for this present life, but also for the life to come. And so it has promise not just for our physical beings today, but it actually has promise for our eternal beings tomorrow. And so as we think about the new year, as we think about trying to resolve in certain ways, man, physical discipline is a great thing. But spiritual discipline, spiritual things are even of that much more value. And that's what we should think about and strive for. Because Jesus is an eternal being and so are we. And so that's important for us. All right, so that's where we're going to jump off today. Philippians chapter 3. All right, pick it up in verse 7. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let's stop right there. So Paul begins this phrase with but, right, but. So whenever you see that, it's important to realize, hey, what was Paul talking about? Because now he's contrasting something that he was saying beforehand. So to wrap up verses 1 through 6, essentially what Paul was saying was, I was a beast. All right, that's Paul's kind of ghetto way of saying that, all right? His ebonics way of saying, hey, I was a beast, right? Like, I was a Pharisee above all Pharisees, all right? I, I studied the law, I, I disciplined myself, I did a lot of good things. Like, if you think that you're a spiritual giant, you had nothing compared to Paul. Like, even if you are a really spiritual person today, Paul would probably, in his former pre-Christ state, okay, so not in his, like, new life, but in his former pre-life state, would obliterate you, okay? Paul was just a spiritual giant. And so Paul's discipline, his purity, would kind of blow people out by the miles, okay? Paul was Steph Curry, and you're Shaq at the free throw line, all right? Sort of like that. Or Paul was a craft brew, and you're a natty light. Alright? Um, he was Van Gogh, you're my daughter coloring, okay? He was the Beatles, and you're Justin Bieber, alright? Like, that's what Paul was for us. So Paul was a giant, alright, I just offended five people who like Justin Bieber here, alright? Paul was a spiritual giant, okay? And he, like, we're nowhere near that. So Paul was saying that he had a lot of good things, but Paul says, all of this means nothing to me compared to knowing Jesus. Like, all of this stuff that I acclaimed, all of these spiritual accolades that I have, it actually doesn't mean anything to me compared to knowing Jesus. See, Paul was just doing spiritual things for the sake of spiritual things, but he was missing the point. For several years, Paul lived his life as a religious person. Like, he had a lot of religiosity, but he was doing it for the sake of religion, completely missing the point. And then once he found the point, which he will say and he will flesh out through this text, is Jesus. Once he found Jesus, entered into that relationship with him, everything about Paul's life changed. All of the spiritual things that Paul was building up, he said, I count all those as loss compared to the work of knowing Jesus. Now that I know Jesus, all other things are lost to me. Nothing else really matters. And so even though Paul was hyper-spiritual, he wasn't banking on any of that spirituality. Okay? Are you tracking with that? Because I think a lot of us, a lot of times, bank on our spirituality rather than banking on the cross of Christ and on Jesus. It's easy for us to bank on, well, I, I read the Bible a lot, or I went to church, or, or, or I went to seminary, or, or I served the poor, or whatever it may be, rather than banking on Jesus. And Paul was saying, all of those things that I've had, because some of them weren't bad things, honestly. Some of them were actually good things. But he says, all of those I compare it to a loss just compared to knowing Jesus. And so we don't want to get caught up in religiosity for religiosity's sake. 
right? Which I think a lot of us are prone to do. There's one air that kind of leans over here that says, I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try to do good things. I'm going to be religious. And Paul's saying, hey, look, that's actually one of the airs, at least in a pharisaical, superficial sense, right? That's an air that, that I call all that is lost compared to knowing Christ. It's important there in verse 7. Uh, the Greek word there for counted is how we translate it in the New Testament. is actually in the perfect sense, which means that it's already uh, he's already fully considered everything a loss compared to Christ. So it's in a perfect sense. It's, it's already fully happened. I have counted fully, completely, everything at a loss compared to knowing Jesus. But, now read verse 8. Indeed, he goes on, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So the same word counted there is now being used in a continuous sense. Meaning he's still continually working on trying to count Jesus as most important in his life. And so Paul's living in the already to some extent. He already has all of Christ. He, as a Christian, has already received all the benefits of the gospel. He is already perfect to some extent, but and then not yet as well. In the human world, he's still trying to work toward actually counting all things for the sake of Jesus, actually living out his life as if Jesus is most important in his life. Notice the word indeed there, too, at the start of that sentence, right? Indeed, he said it. In other words, like, this is a serious matter. Let me repeat what I just said in verse 7 again here in verse 8. I want to stress what I'm saying. This is very important. Everything that I have ever had is not worthy to be compared to me knowing Jesus. Every single thing I've ever accumulated is not worthy compared to me knowing Jesus, right? Now, we just hit on Paul's spirituality, but there's actually a second truth that's kind of a phenomenal truth that jumps out in verse 8. So verse 7, he says, but, and we look at Paul's spirituality, but verse 8, Paul says not only is he not content with just religious things, but he's also not content with just worldly things either. And he hit on that a little bit in verses 1 through 6, but when Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things there in that verse, we actually get a pretty phenomenal insight into Paul's life. Paul was a, a stud in the former verses, and one thing that we know about Paul that he even said is that uh, he, his family was a loaded family, okay? His family had a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Paul was from Tarsus, and only families of wealth and reputation were even allowed to retain their citizenship in that city. It was like a, like a country club city to some extent. And so you had to kind of be the best of the best in order to be able to uh, grow up in that city. And so Paul, being in the family of the best of the best, that's why he pointed out the family that he was born in, actually had not just the religious side of things going well, but he had kind of the earthly side of things going well too. We know that his family was probably loaded. We know that he studied under one of the most prominent teachers of that time. He was probably very uh, scholastic. He was very smart. Right? I mean, even if you read certain books of Paul, he has really intellectual writing. Well, that came from his background. Paul was a genius. Paul uh, probably had good schools and good teachers and, 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 you know, all these different accolades. He was born into wealth and culture in a progressive city, by the way. So he wasn't like in a backwoods city somewhere, okay? He was in a very, very progressive city. Paul is telling us he had to give up all those things in order that he might know Christ more. So he had to give up religion. And he had to give up his worldliness, right? Worldly things. Not bad things, not worldly bad, but just 
things of this world, education or power or, or accolades or wealth. He had to give up both sides of this in order to know Jesus more. He went from being highly liked, highly sought after as a Pharisee, a wealthy Pharisee at that, to being hated, rejected, and despised, a suffering missionary for the sake of Christ. Don't remove yourself, okay? Don't allow 2,000 years to become a barrier into this. He had everything that most of us look for on a daily basis, and he gave it all up so that he could know Jesus more. Like, we have to kind of wonder at that and, and pause at that, okay? What person, what, what, what thing that we can do is worth knowing that much? What person... What thing, what, what occupation, what, whatever it may be, what is actually worth that much? That everything that we, by our nature, naturally strive to try to achieve, we can give all of that up for this one singular thing. What is that worthy? Paul says, look, I've come to that worthy, okay? This is one of my favorite words in Scripture is in this verse. It's the, the word knowledge there compared to knowing Christ Jesus, he says, the, the root word, the Greek word gnosko is the root, and it's an experiential type of knowledge, okay? So Paul says, I have experienced Christ and everything else is a loss now. Because I have interacted with, I have this experience with, I now know Jesus, I've, I, I've felt him in a very intimate and a personal way, that everything else is now a loss. In fact, he says that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, you see up there? Surpassing worth, okay? So it's not like all these things over here were like 1.2 million, and knowing Jesus was like 1.4 million. You know, like, oh, I, I kind of got a little bit more, so I, I guess I'll choose this. He says, no, it was surpassingly worthy, right? Like, like this was 1.2 million, but this was trillions and trillions, right? Like, like, these things weren't bad. He's not pointing those as negative. They just have no value compared to actually knowing Jesus. All these things are rubbish, he says, or trash, garbage. Like, these things don't mean anything. They're like what you take out to the street corner and leave it there for the garbage man to collect. That's what it's like. All these other things compared when I line them up with knowing Jesus. That's how valuable, that's how beautiful Jesus is. That's how much he's worth knowing. That everything else becomes rubbish. Everything else is like a chipped piece of cement compared to the emerald diamond of knowing Jesus Christ. And he says these are all worth giving up so that I may know Jesus more. Um, I had a good friend of mine uh, whose name we can no longer mention, uh, though I have mentioned him in the past, but um, he's a missionary now in the Middle East, and for the past two years he's been going over some very, very heavy persecution, has been jailed several times, uh, had just a lot of troubles, they uh, hung him upside down for like a week and beat him, and uh, trying to get him to uh, say where some of these churches were that he was helping plant. Uh, well, this man is originally uh, an American, uh, though he is uh, Kazakh by uh, descent. He was born in America, and he was born into a very, very, very wealthy uh, family. Uh, his dad actually sat on the board of Pepsi Company, okay? Now, I know we're in Coca-Cola land, all right? But Pepsi is a really, really big product around America, number two behind Coca-Cola. And so when you're sitting on the board of it, you can only imagine what type of lifestyle he was probably born into. As he grew up, went to prestigious schools and got prestigious degrees, and then he actually helped start Panera Bread. And so if you are a Panera fan, then he was actually one of the guys who helped start that, um, up in Michigan, by the way. Go blue. 
Um, and so he helped start that. He was on the board there. And then God radically changed his life, and he got saved. And so before he didn't know Jesus, his uh, dad was a Muslim, his mom was not practicing, and he just, uh, through a long series, a long story, ended up knowing who Jesus was. And slowly but surely, he began to know more and more about who Jesus was, and Jesus began to radically change his life. Well, in the course of that time, his dad started really kind of putting a lot of heavy pressure on him, saying, hey, this isn't okay. Like, you, you can't just be a Christian, okay? And so at first, it was little subtle things, and then his dad said, well, you know what? I'm not going to pay for your school. I'm not going to pay for anything else uh, that you're doing. I think he was doing higher education. And he said, well, that, that's fine. And then he kept knowing Jesus, and he went on staff somewhere. And his dad said, if you don't leave staff, I'm going to take you off of my will so you won't get anything when I die. And my friend said, hey, that's okay. Like, it's not worth it, you know. So he took his name off of his will. And then uh, my friend, because of his dad, actually had a shared seat on the board as well. And he got the board to turn against him and vote him off. And so then he was no longer on the board of Pepsi Company. So that's fine. And then God kept working in his heart, and he felt like God was calling him to be a missionary. And so he started kind of training up and to go into the Middle East, which is where he is now. And God was doing a lot of work during that time, met his wife then, and uh, through a long series of events, his dad said, hey, listen, if you go overseas, you can never talk to your mom again. Never call her. I find out you call her, like, some threat of some sort, right? You can never, ever talk to your mom again. Well, my friend and his mom were really close because in the process of this, his mom started being really interested in the Christian faith as well. He saw, or she saw his life be radically changed, and she started kind of wanting that for herself and realizing there was something different. He wasn't just being religious like we just talked about. He was actually interacting with a personal being, a personal God. And so she started kind of changing. He said, you can never talk to your mom again. He said, I, I can't obey you over God. God's called me to go. I need to go. So he left, and then she got a number change, and he hasn't talked to his mom in like 13 years, right? All this time, they have kids. Dad doesn't want anything to do with the grandkids because the kids are also Christians now. And there's just this radical story. And I was talking with him one day when we were in India together, and he wakes up at like 3 a.m. to pray. He's like one of those types of guys, all right? And so he woke me up at like 3, and I was really confused. I thought like a fire was happening in the hotel or something, and he said, hey, it's, it's time to pray. <coughs> It's not time for me to pray. <laughs> not the time I pray, right? And so we get down, we're praying, I'm in and out of sleep, right? And in the process, at one point, I said, hey, friend, I almost said his name, hey, friend, um, tell, like, like, why, what, what motivates you, like, to continue doing this? Like, when you're being hung upside down and being beaten, he, he can't lift certain things anymore because he has such permanent damage that he can't do some physical things, so he can't pick up his kid anymore, and just little things that you forget the joy of it, right? He can't do something. So I said, you know, what, what is your motivation? I said, brother, I know Jesus in a way I've never known him before. Why would I give that up? The power behind a statement like that after what he's gone through Right? Like, that, sh that, that shocked me. How can a man be that worth knowing? That you would give up picking up your kid, give up your relational family, give up all of this money, all of this prestige, end up selling Panera and then so that he can go be a missionary. How could you give all of that up just to know Jesus more? That's what Paul's saying here. All of these things, Paul had a very similar life, right? All of these things were not worth keeping compared to knowing Jesus. 
I'll give them all of the belief that you have for Christ. Keep going, verse 9. And, it's not just know him, but and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, listen, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Once again, the strong phrase, right? By any means possible, that I would know Jesus. Like, do you feel that sense of intensity and urgency that Paul is writing in this letter to know Jesus more? When I read this, I'm convicted because I personally do not. Like, that's not how my life orchestrates itself. I want to have a heart like that, but that's not how my life orchestrates itself on a day-to-day basis. But remember, Paul isn't saying that he was perfect, like he said in verse 7, but he's working on this all the more. But as he's working on it, he's setting his mind in such a way that says, hey, listen, even if I have to suffer, even if I have to go through whatever I may have to go through, compared to knowing Jesus, it's worth it. I'll do whatever it takes to have more of this man, to understand him more. If that means suffering like him so I can understand him and his suffering, man, let me suffer. If that means losing all things, becoming weak, so that in him I may be strong, man, let me become weak. If that means God using me for the sake of ministry so that his name may be glorified, God, then use me. Whatever it may be, that's what I want, he says. That's what he's urging the Philippians readers even to uh, attain to. Keep going, verse 12. Not only that I have already obtained, or I'm sorry, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you, are, you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you or also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, this is an important section, okay? And we already hinted at it before, but in verses 11, or 7 through 11, it kind of feels like Paul has arrived, right? Like, Paul is the man, like, like he values, he treasures, he has these things to perfection, and once again, it kind of makes us look like spiritual dwarfs, right? Like, even if we feel like we're on fire for Jesus, we're like, not like that, man. That's on a whole other level. Right? That's what it feels like. And then he hits on this phrase, or this passage. Says, I, I haven't already obtained this. It's almost like you can see Paul trying to reason with his readers, right? Like, I know this in my head. Because of what I have tasted in Jesus, I know this to be true. I know that he's more valuable than anything else. But I haven't already obtained this. It's like his heart needs to believe that truth more and more and more. And so Paul tries and desires and wants and yearns to have this experience all that more. Look at the words that Paul uses, right? Press on, he uses a couple of times. Straining, he uses. Paul desires to make the truths of verses 7 through 11 be the reality in his life in verse 12 through 16. Paul desires to know and treasure Christ in profound ways. So Paul is stressing or, or, or pressing or, or yearning on, even willing to suffer, he said in verse 11, if that means knowing Christ more, if that means making Jesus a reality. And so I thought about this, look at this passage, and I thought, you know what's beautiful about this is the beauty of the gospel that Paul interweaves in and out through this text. 
Like, who can relate with this truth more but Jesus Christ himself? Like, can't Jesus relate with this verse on profound levels? Jesus went through more suffering than any of us could ever imagine. Not just so that he can know God, but so that we can know God. Like, Paul desires this for himself, but Jesus actually went through all these things so that you and I might know and treasure Christ. He saw God as worthy to be knowing, so that he suffered, died on the cross, took on God's wrath, suffered all of what we should have suffered, so that you might have a relationship, so that you might have the ability to even say what Paul is saying here in this text. What Paul wants to be true in his life and in his heart, Christ made it true through his life and in his heart. As we see Jesus' prayers, we see this echoing all the time. God, I don't want to go to the cross. But but not my will, your will. I want them to be one with you the way you and I are one, he prays in John 17. Like, if there's another way, praise the Lord, hey, let that other way come. But I'll do whatever it takes because I know that knowing you is the most beautiful thing. That knowing you is the most valuable thing. This is how much Christ loved us. Jesus pressed, Jesus strived, Jesus looked ahead. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He did whatever it might take so that you and I can know God in an intimate and in a profound way. Jesus was our ultimate example of pressing on toward this. If you know Jesus' life, you know that to be true. Okay? Not only, though, did Jesus suffer as our example, okay? though he is, he is definitely our example in this, but he's also our perfect fulfillment of this for us. Jesus is both our example and our fulfillment for us. While Paul was willing to suffer the loss for all things, Jesus Christ actually suffered the loss of all things. See, Paul was willing to give up, and Paul sure enough gave up a lot for knowing Christ, but Jesus actually gave up everything, right? He's both our example and our fulfillment. Christ actually suffered. Christ suffered the loss of all things that were actually valuable, though. Don't miss this, okay? Paul suffered the loss of all things that actually weren't that valuable. Like, these worldly things, like, they're good, once again, they're not bad, but they're just not that valuable. They rot and they rust and they burn away and they're done with. But Jesus Christ actually suffered the loss of all things that were truly valuable. Jesus had everything that Paul was desiring and striving for. Jesus had a perfect relationship with the Father, right? Like, as we see throughout the Gospels, we see this intimacy. Jesus had all the heavenly rewards. All the angels were circling around Jesus, worshiping him day and night. Jesus was the creator of all things. All gifts were given to Jesus. Yet Jesus suffered the loss of the things that were truly valuable to gain us. Things with very little value. Because of this, now we, who have very little value, can have extreme value in Christ. Not just extreme value, we can have the perfect value. He traded riches for rubbish so that we might trade rubbish for riches. Jesus was the fulfillment for us. Jesus fulfills this so that this truth can actually be possible for us. The reason that Paul can say these things is because Jesus went ahead of Paul. Jesus was the fulfillment for him. Christ gave up all heavenly rewards to gain an earthly possession, you and I, so that we can give up all earthly possessions to gain our heavenly reward, Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment. By believing in the gospel of Christ, all of these truths that Paul preached on throughout this can be ours. We don't have to work for the true riches which have already been obtained by Christ's work in him. We no longer have to strive or work for this. They are ours by belief in Christ. Now, you may say, but wait a minute. 
we just said that Paul was, was striving, right? He was pressing on. He was straining. He was doing whatever it took. That sounds like a lot of work language. We're saying we don't have to work. What's going on there? Notice that Paul is using all of these words in light of the gospel. Like, he preaches the gospel first, and then he starts using these words. As you understand and believe more and more in the gospel, that Jesus is far more valuable than everything, that Jesus, uh, knowing him, everything else pales in comparison to that, then you will naturally desire to give up all things that you might know Christ more. Right? I mean, it, it just makes sense. Like, essentially, as you believe in the gospel more, you're motivated by love to know him more. And so then you do what it takes, not in a sense of trying to work for your salvation, but in a sense of that your salvation was so worthy that you'll do whatever it takes to get more of that. You'll do whatever it takes to receive Jesus more, to know him more. This isn't a work-based religion. Christ did the work for us. But now by believing in Christ, we can strive or press on or strain to know Jesus more. Not trying to work for our salvation, but trying to understand and to believe in and fall more in love with the salvation that's already been given to us by faith in Christ. That's why Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own. Right? Like before he's talking about striving and straining, he said, I, I don't have a righteousness of my own. This comes through faith. But I will press on, I will strive, I will strain, I will do what it takes that I may know this more. When we taste Jesus, it awakens our palate to desire more of him. It's like when you first went from well-done steak to medium steak, right? You tasted it and you realized, what was I doing all those years, amen? Okay, some of you just got offended, all right? You're still insane if you're eating well-done steak, okay? So like you started tasting something, you said, oh, I, I want that. Right? Like, like I, I want that, and you wanted more of it, and you realized, well, what was I doing all these years? That's what Paul is saying. Hey, I have tasted something beautiful. I need, I, I have to have more of that. I want Jesus. And Jesus has made this possible by faith in him. Now, some of us are eating well-done Christianity. Okay? We're working, 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 but not for the sake of knowing Jesus, for the sake of being religious. And some of us are tasting well-done worldliness. We're striving and striving, but not to know more of Christ, but to gain more of Earth's rewards. And Paul says those things are so little. They mean really almost nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is that worthy, is that valuable. That's what I want you to chase after, Paul says. That's what I want you to have. So I love New Year. Because what we get to do is we get to look ahead and we get to say, hey, how can we do this more? Right? Like, in 2015, maybe we didn't really press or strive to know Jesus more. Maybe we got caught up kind of on, the, on this side of things over here, chasing worldly gains. And once again, none of these things are bad. We started off saying that. Physical discipline is of some value. There are good in riches. There's good in having a better job. There's good in being more healthy. And those things are great. But maybe we got lost focusing over here. How can we reorient a little bit this year to focus more on knowing Jesus? Some of us got lost on this side of things. We were being religious for religiosity's sake. We were coming to church, we were reading our Bible, we were praying, we were doing these things just for the sake of doing them, okay? And we got lost and caught up in them. How can we steer and veer our lives back into the center to where Jesus becomes our all in all? Well, we're not coming to church just to check off a box, but we're coming to church to experience Jesus. Well, we're not going to community here just so we can look good and people don't judge us for not being at group. 
right? But we can go so that we can try to have fellowship, knowing that in fellowship with one another, we see God, First John says. No one has ever seen God. But when you see the love that you have for one another, you do see glimpses of Him. How can we serve in such a way so as to serve Jesus and account Him worthy? How can we read our Bibles? How can we pray? How can we worship in such a way that would stir up our heart's affections to know Jesus more? Because He's made all this possible in the gospel. And so if you believe in Jesus, if he is your Savior, he has saved you from yourself, from your sin, brought you into relationship with him, you can have more of that. What you tasted once can be yours forever. It can be your joy. It can be like my friend hanging upside down in a, in a jail cell, being beat to a puddle to say, this is great, because I have Jesus. Like, like this is worth it to me. Man, that's what I want my life to look. That's what I want your life to look like. That's what I want us as a church to do in 2016. And so I hope that we can do some things as a congregation collectively that would help spur us on toward Christ. But I hope that you will do some things as an individual, individually, that will really help you try to focus on, hey, how can I know Jesus more? Maybe that's just reading your Bible more. You know, maybe you said you would and you never have. Man, make a goal to read your Bible. Not to check off a box. But to find the Jesus that's in the Bible that's so frequently talked about that our hearts would know him. Maybe it's spending a little bit less time at work and spending a little bit more time in community. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is for you, but what I want to encourage you in as we move into 2016 is to think about what are ways that I can reorient my life around Christ. Whatever it is, remember, okay, that Jesus suffered all things that we might be rich in him. He gave up all possession that we might know him. And so let this set off the fireworks of joy inside of your heart so that you might attain more of Jesus and taste more of the I love you guys. Let's pray. God, you are worth knowing. You are worth knowing, Jesus. I confess that I so frequently 